0: to vista community church as we head into a different holiday season this year we're continuing to lean into jesus we're listening for his voice asking him to show us the type of church he needs us to be and we're following where he is leading us keep an eye out for details coming soon and to hear about everything happening at vista over the next couple of months head over to VistaCommunityChurch.org. Again, we're so excited to be here with you and hope you're encouraged today as we enter into worship in God's word together.
1: me, free cuz the God of the mountain, is the God of the valley, and there's not a place where your mercy and grace won't find
2: It's your goodness that draws us. It's your goodness that pulls us closer. It's your goodness that always says, yes, I am here, and it's going to be okay, for I'm with you. So, Lord, we just celebrate your goodness, even now, because you never again, all my life, let that be your cry, It's all my life you have been faithful, yes you have,
1: all my life you have been so, you've been
2: we just take this moment to sing of your goodness, to sing of your grace over us. Lord, we take these breaths that go out of our body, that speak of your praises, that speak to who you are, that the very root of who you are, the very core of everything you do is good. Our King of kings, our Father. So we just take this moment to praise you. Praise all that you are. Praise you because we can trust you and move into you. Come what may, we move into you. And we say we still trust you, God. We still lean on you, God. We still follow you, God. For you do when we acknowledge you make our path straight. So we take these moments and just praise the one who is worthy, the one who is in control, the one who is mighty, the one with the the future in his hands. By the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake. Souls of all who come to the Father are restored. Come up, and the Church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lived the flame. Now,
1: this gospel to the bold shall.
2: forever that here on earth what we start with our praises will continue through eternity that it will not stop let your praises be continuously on our lips yes praise the father praise the son praise the holy spirit that's what we do that's why we're here we just thank you god from now into eternity in jesus name amen
0: I remember vividly, vividly, the, the first time my son willfully disobeyed me. I said to him, Hand me that book. He was two and a half. He had developed a sophisticated vocabulary already in his life, quite honestly. He understood exactly what I was asking him to do. I said, hand me that book, he looked me right in the eye and said, uh, no, which changed everything. (laughs) That changed that moment from just a a casual, hey, hand me that book, and, and then receiving that book into a situation that was actually profound. I said uh, oh my um listen th- 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 this was uh not a big deal I I I don't I don't need that book <laughs> I, c- I could reach down there <laughs> and and get that book myself and in fact I, I at this point I I wish I had just gotten it myself but I said son you you you've turned this into something bigger I don't I I don't need that book but what I need right now is for you to obey me and and, and hand me that book. And he processed it in his little brain and uh, said, uh, no. I, I, I looked at his mom was in I looked at his mom and I said, look look what you've done. <laughs> right. No, I'm kidding. We looked at each other. And knew exactly what was going on, and and one of the two is—I don't remember which one—said, "Well, here we go, here we go. Now this is this is the point. You know it's coming. You can't avoid this moment." So I, I turned back to my son and I said, "Look, God has created this universe to run a certain way, and I and I kid you not, this is the way we talk to our two and a half year old." God has created this universe to run in a certain way, and the way he's created it to run is that we are best, healthiest, and right when we live under authority. So I'm under his authority right now. As a parent, I have a responsibility, and there, there are things that he is expecting me to do, and I am going to do them because I defer to him. He is my authority. You are temporarily under my authority. And here's the situation. This is a a grave moment that we're in, son. One day you will choose whether or not you will live under the authority of God. But if I don't teach you how to live under my authority, if you don't learn that this is a good thing, Hard but good. The chances are are increasingly unlikely that you will follow God. I, I have to win this situation. So am I, I'm asking you again. Please hand me that book. And uh, he said no. I was giving him as much opportunity as I possibly could to change his mind. He wouldn't do it. We were at an impasse. And this is exactly what I want to talk about today. Exactly what I want to talk about today. This really hard spot. And you've been in it a thousand times. You're probably in it today on some level. This really, really hard spot where the right thing to do is not complicated, It's not confusing. It's actually very simple, very easy. But you're not doing it. We just aren't doing it. Why? Why is repentance so hard when it's actually so easy? Why is repentance so hard when it's actually so easy? There's three main reasons for that. Three particular reasons that make repentance so hard. And we're going to talk about that today. But I first want to recap a little bit. What what is repentance? What is this word we keep using? Well, it's a spiritual U-turn. I I illustrated this for the last few weeks with this example of me uh, shimmying out on a tree branch to retrieve a, a toy rocket that had gotten tangled in the branches. I became aware of my wrong path when the limb began to bow and bend. But I didn't pay attention to that warning. The warning got louder when the, when the tree limb cracked. That should have been the clear indication for me to make a U-turn. But I didn't, and so things got progressively worse and eventually very painful. Repentance is a spiritual U-turn. Here's our definition. Here's our working definition. Repentance, from a biblical point of view, is an awareness of your sin. It's an admission of that sin, a confession, if you will. It's a turning away from it and back to God. And then it's a continuation Instead, in accordance with Jesus. That definition slips from repentance toward obedience. But it's, it's good to put it all in the same space. It is an awareness. It is an admission. It is a turning away. And it is a new life according to Jesus. We also talked about how repentance is a sign of strength. It feels like. And the world might suggest that repentance is a sign of weakness. Lord Byron, in his poem, The Corsair, has this famous quote, the weak alone repent, the weak repent. And I suppose that may be true on some level from a worldly perspective. But you know, if you step back for a moment, that it takes great depth and great strength. To be able to apologize and admit you're wrong at the drop of a hat. How full of joy must a person be? How stable must they be emotionally? How deeply must you be loved to go, yeah, I was wrong. Every time, oh, I, I, I blew that. That one's on me. When you see it happen, you don't think to yourself, well, there's a weak person. Typically, you go, oh, my gosh, that's, there's a rare expression of strength you and you and I both know it's the weak who don't repent. It's the fearful who don't repent. It's those that don't have a solid foundation that cannot admit they're wrong. We also tend to think that repentance is an experience of disempowerment. And again that may be true on one level, particularly if you gain your power from your performance from your accolades, from your achievements, from your perfection. If you gain your purpose and your power and your confidence from your performance, any admission of wrongdoing or imperfection would be a disempowering thing. But as Christians, we don't get our value from what we do. So repentance, biblical repentance... It's a liberation. It's a freedom. No more lying. No more hiding. No more masks. No more continuous defensiveness of yourself. No more, no more working so hard to get that person to believe what you want them to believe about you. It's freeing to be repentant. Martin Luther had it exactly right. Exactly right. Back in the 1500s, the church was severely off its rails. A man named Martin Luther, uh, reformed, was the father of reforming the church. He had 95 things that needed to be taught and addressed and figured out. And the very first one at the top of the list for how the church needed to get healthy was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Well, That's true when you keep the idea of sin in the picture. right? When you understand that repentance is our, our confession of our sin, and you think about sin the way Jesus did. Remember what he told the Pharisees who were very, very good, moral, upright, religious people? He said, y'all, the cup is clean on the outside, but it's filthy on the inside. This is an issue of the heart. Jesus said, if you're angry in your heart at your brother, you have broken the command of murder. When you start thinking about the compulsions in your heart, the thoughts in our minds that are ungodly. And you consider that what Jesus wants us to do is repent of all of our sin. We have a very, very full day and week ahead of us forever. Martin Luther had it exactly right. Maybe the most important thing we've learned about repentance is how it provokes God how repentance is a a doorway that we throw open for a loving, forgiving, merciful, embracing God to come rushing through. We learn this from the prodigal son. the, The parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son, referred to in many cultures as the parable of the running father which is better because that is the beauty of the story. The son hadn't fixed his life yet. All he had done was become aware of his sin and turn back toward his father. And that move caused the father to rush to him and to embrace him and to forgive him and to, and to remind him of his value and to celebrate The great thing about repentance is that it's within our power, if you will, to provoke God to come rushing into our life and provide all that we would need. Why is repentance so scary? Why is it so uncommon when the necessities for it are so great and the outcomes so wonderful? Why is repentance so hard when it's actually so easy? How hard is it to pick up a book and hand it to your father? More importantly, how hard is it to follow Jesus? I would say following Jesus is as easy as picking up a book And handing it to your father. And that's not just me saying that. That's Jesus saying that. I want to show you a passage in Matthew chapter 11. Where Jesus is talking about some historical events in some very real cities. Moderately bad cities. Listen. He says, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. Because they did not repent. Repent. In these moderately bad cities, God was doing all kinds of work in Jesus. The kind of work that that only God can do. Jesus made it clear in these spaces that he was God. By association, the question is, are you going to come to me? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to make me your king? Are you going to love me? Are you going to stay with your current choices and life? And they had chosen To stay with what they had. Jesus is saying to these cities that it's going to be very, very bad for them. They're climbing out onto a tree limb and it's going to end very painfully. More painfully than the really, really, really bad cities. Why? Because they were aware. They had been given every opportunity. They had seen very clearly who God is. And because they were aware, it was going to be very painful for them if they didn't repent. Now the wonderful part of this whole story, and Jesus goes on to talk about each city and how they were failing to repent. But listen to how he finishes his teaching. He says, come to me. Repent. All who are weary and burdened and I will, what? What does he do to the repentant? What does he do to those in the moderately bad and the really bad cities when they come to him? Does he slap them? Does he discipline them? Does he ridicule them? Does he condemn them? He says, I will give you rest. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in my heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy easy and my burden is light we have been yoked by the world we are the ox and we have this guiding tool thrown across our shoulders and around our neck and we are controlled by that yoke and jesus says Take my yoke upon. Let me be the leader, the guide, the director, the king of your life. And trust me, when I am that in your life, when you take my yoke upon me, the plowing and the work is wonderful. It's smooth and it's easy and it's amazing and its impact is, is, is fruitful beyond imagination in this world. When you and I plow a field together, it is invigorating. And it produces unbelievable growth. It is the best. And you will not be tired at the end of the day. You will be fulfilled and at rest. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus, of course, is in perfect step with the timelessly consistent heart of God. If you look through the history books of the Bible, they see things like this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It is so good. So restful, so productive to turn away from whatever is not of God back to God. And in the midst of Jesus' story, his uh, point in teaching and teaching, and God, we see this broken hearted patience of God. You can feel him, it's like Oh my you you're you're going you're going to go off a cliff you're going to run right to destruction oh please turn come to me come to me repent says it again and again or do you show as paul says contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Son, please understand, it's important for you to hand me that book. Please hand me that book. It's, 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 it's part of your learning. It's part of your growth. It's going to go well for you. He didn't do it. Had he handed me that book, even after seven opportunities that I gave him, you know what would have happened? I would have swept him up into my arms. I probably would have given him candy. Why? Because it is that decision, that, that will, that turning against the will of yourself to the will of the Father is beautiful no matter when you do it. And God, just like the good Father, is waiting and waiting, withholding the, the due penalty, the, the due discipline. Waiting and waiting to run and love and embrace. Although the thing itself was easy. Picking up a book, he didn't do it. And trust me, it did not go well for him. (laughs) The same is true for adults. It's easy. It's easy to say the words, I was wrong. That's not hard, is it? It's easy to take your hand off the mouse rather than to navigate to an illicit site, right? That's not hard to take your hand off a mouse. It's not hard to dial a phone and end that wrongful relationship. A child can dial a phone. It's easy to text someone and say, we're done. That's not hard. It's easy to say something or do something kind for someone, even someone that has an offensive, opposite political view than you. It's not hard to buy them a Coke or compliment their passion. It's easy. Buying a Coke is not a hard thing. Saying a kind word isn't a hard thing. It is super easy to leave a second piece of cake on the table. That's not hard. It's easy to say the words, I forgive you. It's easy to tell the truth. It's easy to be generous. It's easy to leave your arms at your side rather than strike somebody. Am I wrong? This is easy. This is not hard. It's easy to keep your mouth shut. Watch this. That's not hard. It's easy to turn off the TV and pray. It's easy to express gratitude. It's easy to be generous. It's easy to read some scripture. It's easy to find people to help you. Isn't it? These are all easy. Why are they so hard then? Why are they so hard? Why was it so hard to hand me that book? Why is it so hard to say, I forgive you? Why is it so hard to keep our mouths shut? Jesus says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I think you got to be saying, Mike, you have lost your mind. Are you even paying attention to the world right now? Have you lost your grip on reality? Life. Is deeply heavy right now. Super painful. The brokenness is breaking me down. My debt is so burdensome. People are dying and it is crushing their loved ones. The grind of my job is pounding me flat. It is heavy. And I'm a Christian. The yoke is heavy. Isolation is stealing my spirit. My failures are resulting in lifelong burdens. Unfaithfulness is fracturing my whole family, and my extended family. Listen, the pain and the weight and the sin and the brokenness of this world is real, but it's not from Jesus. The consequential load of our compounded disobedience as individuals, as families, as associations, as a nation, is very, very real. But it's, it's not from Jesus. Life is hard. Life is a burden. Life is painful. And our disobedience, our brokenness has compounded that to magnitudes that are hard to measure. But that's not on Jesus. Jesus says, in me, you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus says, when you turn to me in the middle of all the hardness of life, Without hesitation, I take you into my arms and refresh your soul. I rush in to calm your fears, to light your way, to break your bonds, forgive your sin, and give you peace. Jesus says, when you take on my yoke, we walk a path that is completely within our power to do. If you continue to trust me, Jesus says, we will say and do all that God designed you to say and do, and it will be beautiful. It will be good. It will be light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus says. It's the yoke of the world that's hard and slowly killing you. The world has taken us captive to do its will. The world has offered us the wrong way and we have bought it. The world has taught us the wrong things and we have believed it. We have trusted the wrong people and they have led us astray. We have tasted the shiny bad fruit And we have learned to love it. And in the end, what's brought that about are three things. Three things are leading to our death. Three things have gotten us into a mess that is taking us down. the life and the burden of this world is heavy. Jesus says, my yoke is light and you can only wear one yoke. Three things make it nearly impossible for us to come to Jesus, to turn from our sin and come back to Jesus and take his yoke upon us. The same three things that keep a two-year-old from handing me a book are the same three things that keep an adult from repenting of his sin. There are three hooks in your flesh that are stealing your heart and keeping you from turning. They are your stomach. your stuff and yourself this is what we read in the book of first john this is old man john this is grandpa john this is a guy who walked with jesus as a very very young man and then walked with jesus by the spirit a very long long life and he says to us do not love the world Or anything in the world. Let that sink in. Do you love anything in the world? Do you love anything in the world? Do not love the world or anything in the world. Why? Because if you love the world, love for the Father is not in them. You can only wear one yoke. You can only have one master. You can only have one king. You can only have one greatest love. Everything in the world, John says, the lust of the flesh, your stomach, the lust of the eyes, your stuff, and the pride of life, you comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. The lust of the flesh is everything that appeals to how we want to feel. In a word, it's our appetites, our stomach. Not the normal, natural, contained appetites like the need for food, food, Drink, laughter, affection, emotion, intimacy. Those are normal. It's the twist, and it's not even just the twisted, out of control, illicit, insatiable appetites like greed, gluttony, binging, fornication, but maybe more the subtle ones like extraneous shopping, continuous consumings of TV and games. Using other people, substances, experiences for personal fulfillment. Let me ask you this can you identify inflated appetites, desires, tendencies to consume? The devil tried to tempt Jesus in the desert with the lust of the flesh when he urged him to turn stones into bread. He was starving, he was out there for 40 days. And Jesus says, no, I don't love even food that I need, Jesus said. I don't even, even the food that would be legitimately good for me. I don't love that more than I love the word of God. Take a moment. Pray for the spirit of God to show you where your appetites, where your stomach, where you're consuming is beyond where it should be. This is one of the greatest things that happens from a food fast. Spend two days not eating any food, and you will discover all the different appetites of your life that, that, that are after you. But in this moment, right now, can you identify at least one appetite that's a little beyond what it should be? Hold that thought. The lust of the eyes is everything that appeals to what we want to have, our stuff. Materialism, you might call it. The world uses external attraction to produce greed. Can you identify things you want more deeply than what's reasonable? Or can you identify what you compulsively or anxiously hang on to once you have it? Can you see in your life how you want something simply because somebody else has it or because some provocative ad has made you want it? Are there things you want for some inexplicable reason just because it's bigger or newer or faster? The devil tried to tempt Jesus by the lust of the eyes when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said you could have them. Can you see how you want certain things because what it says about you? A hairstyle, a fashion, a car, a diploma, a person. <laughs> Take a moment. What do you want that you don't, you absolutely don't need? What are you hanging on to that you absolutely don't have to hang on to? Pray that God would show you. You know what works to help you understand what you're hanging on to? Give something away that you love. Give something away that you worked really hard to get. See how that makes you feel. Hold on to that. The pride of life is everything that appeals to who I want to be. This is about haughtiness and arrogance and pride personal achievement popularity academic success all these things that make us feel self sufficient and strong the devil tried to tempt jesus or did tempt jesus when he took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and urged him to defy god so that he could be the, he could be the, in charge of all of this are you working overtime to get praise You find yourself knocking other people down so you look better. You know, spaces in your life where you just can't fathom losing, winning is everything, or you can't let them win, or you won't let them feel the the, the joy of winning. Feels good to have them lose. Can't be wrong, rarely apologize. You need the boss or popular people or the powerful people to like you or you just tank if they don't. Can you think of something? Try this. Do something really, really great and don't tell a soul. Ever. Okay. You got some things? You have some things in your mind? You got some appetite stuff. You got some material stuff. You got some things about yourself. What's the first step? Change that, right? Stop that. Don't do that. No, 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 no. The the, the exercises that I've given you here to fast, to give something away, to reduce your own self-promotion, those aren't the first step. Those are just exercises to help us find out where we are out of alignment with God, where the sin is. The first step is to confess it. You look at those things in your life, and you don't say something like, well, I need to get that in order. I I, I got a little, some some repairing to do. No, no, no. We stop before God, and we say, that part of me is wicked and sinful and gross, and I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. When I look closely, God, I realize I'm a, I am a sinner in my heart. The first step is confession. You say it out loud to God. That thing, that desire, that stuff, that appetite, that piece of food, that new thing is an indication of my sin. God, I am sorry. I am not who you long for me to be. Then you walk away from it, What starts with saying something to it. And I would say, say it out loud. No, you're wrong for me. That's bad for me. I, I, I reject you. I'm walking away from, and you just name it. Say it out loud, just like the confession. Cut off the means to finding your way there again. Call it what it is. Walk away. Turn back to God, and Boom! You you, you turn, and then what do you see? What will you find? I'm so excited for you. You confess your sin. You turn away. You're going to find the running father landing in your face, forgiving you, merciful compassion, pouring value and purpose and love and joy into your heart. That's what we find. That's what we're aiming for. Why is repentance so hard when it's so easy? Because our stomachs are strong. The allure of stuff is strong. And trying to gain a sense of self is deeply built within us. The hard work of repentance isn't the work we do to walk away from the stuff. It isn't even the work that we do to become more aware of the stuff. The hard work of repentance is trusting God. That he is magnitudes better than filling your stomach. That his love is so much deeper than anything stuff can do for you. And that trusting God is magnitudes better than anything that makes yourself stand out. Come on, church. Don't be afraid to ask God to show you the sin within your heart and in your thoughts and in your life. Because once you're aware, you get to enjoy the beauty and the liberation of confession and the reception of a running father. Father that loves you and puts a yoke on you and leads you through a life of beauty and goodness and joy. Come on, church. The world needs us to lead the way on this. There ain't nobody practicing this in the news. Ain't nobody going, I was wrong. Ain't nobody confessing their sin. There's nobody repenting. You know what that means. People ain't following God. They don't have the yoke of Jesus. I don't care who you call it, what you call yourself, Christian or not, if you're not repenting, You're not enjoying a relationship with the running father. And that changes everything. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, a wonderful Thanksgiving, no matter what it looks like. And let me ask you this, to consider above all, being thankful for the father who is running for you.